What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Therapy is a Christian podcast is all things mental health and Christ. We specifically talk about how mental health and God are merged together to foster growth, healing, and making mental health a normal conversation. I'm your host, Roz and Renee, and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Therapy is a Christian podcast. I am your host, Rosalind Renee, and welcome to another episode of the show. I am so happy to be back with y'all in front of the microphone because we are recording part two of the attachment style series, I guess you could call it. Um, It was supposed to be probably one episode, and I thought it was going to be one episode, but girl, y'all know I talk too much. And this episode, girl, I'm just going to go and say it's probably going to be top five because I'm going to really delve into... Um, one of the attachment styles that I personally feel like I struggled with the most. Um, as a reminder, a part of me bringing up um, attachment styles, if you have not already listened to, please go back and listen to part one. Part one is going to give you a way more context into why I chose to talk about attachment styles. But just a brief disclaimer, even though I am talking about attachment styles, this is a like psychological theory meaning theories are things that are tested with like hypothesis and all that kind of stuff of like if this is this way it's this way because of this and sometimes it's always this true sometimes is it always true this can be true for different people I more so like to bring these kind of technical terms and technical things um, in the mental health space to you all for language I think one of the best things I've learned from doing counseling personally and even professionally is that when a client is really struggling and does not know why things are happening the way that they are, 
it can be very overwhelming to not know what it is or that there's a name for something essentially is what a lot of them say. And so being able to name something gives you the ability then to dissect it more and have understanding. And when you have understanding of something, you can then be able to know how to start navigating through it. And so I'm bringing this up just as a means to help you understand, like this may not always be true or be a thing for people to really care to delve into, but if it's something that's important to you just to name things, I think it's very important. So like I said, go back and listen to part one. It'll give you more context into attachment styles and what they are and why they are important. But for brief, um, my personal viewpoint of attachment styles is I believe they are a huge component in the way we interact and attach ourselves to other people. Um, and they influence how we may move or interact in a relationship. And additionally, I personally believe they really deal with how we process and deal with emotions. So process meaning how you are able to come to a conclusion about something. And in part one, I kind of went more into detail around the different attachment styles and how they really show up in your uh, relationships emotional processing and also how you deal with God or may interact with God because of your personal attachment style. So as I explained before, I'm explaining attachment more so in a parent-child relationship. So you being the child essentially and your parent being the parent, but we all have different um, and complicated maybe parental relationships. Some of us have had you know, parents die early on. Some of us have had trauma with our parents. Some of us haven't had trauma with our parents, but may have had trauma with other authority figures um, that were really impactful. And so the way that trauma impacts you may look different. Um, some people may see their parents as they did the best they can. And whatever way their parent may have interacted with them was just because they knew that their parent was doing the best they can. But for some people, it may be deeper than that and they want to understand it a little bit more. And so that's what this episode is. Again, I'm talking in very technical terms, but when I say technical, I mean, I'm giving you like the book version of what these terms are, but they can look very, very particular when it comes to um, the way you um, may interact in relationships. As a wife and a parent, I think that I have learned more about attachment since having my son who is almost two. And so over the last two years, I've really seen the attachment styles of my parents play out in my life and even name more for me why I process emotions. Um, the particular attachment style I'm going to talk about today is called avoidant dismissive attachment. I identify very heavily and personally with this one, um, which I'll explain more in this episode um, and it's something I'm working through. Like, to be honest, it is, it's something I kind of discovered maybe in the last year, but it is really hard to work through. And like I stated in the last, last episode, we have to move past the place of feeling perfect in our healing process, because regardless of what anybody say, says healing is so ugly like it is so ugly and I have really learned more recently with God in the last six months how my ugliness is 
something he adores that I bring to him, which is a hard concept to process through because I think, especially for me, I grew up really trying to be perfect or try to be like there was nothing wrong that really being ugly before God, and I'm talking about cussing, I'm talking about sharing how I feel, I'm talking about being angry, I'm talking about like really being ugly in front of the Father and wrestling with Him about how I feel about certain things is a very hard concept to share, even out loud to you all, because I think sometimes we look at people with platforms and we think they don't have issues or we even may idolize their quote-unquote relationship with God and that's just not the tea I'm here to spill sis um it is just very hard to be naked in front of people you don't know but I will be naked and willing and wanting to be naked because I think it's important for me to know that God's really the only one I'm supposed to answer to and so me sharing these things are things I'm still processing like it's it's, a, it's probably going to take some time. I have an appointment with my therapist in two weeks. Okay, girl. Like, <laughs> it's a process. But I wanted to be uh, extremely um, open about this particular attachment style because this is the one I struggled with. But also, this is the one I'm facing on a day-to-day basis. This is the one that comes up when I'm triggered. This is the one that also can come up when I am feeling emotionally unstable with God like how it plays out so I'll be sharing a lot of that in particular in this episode all concurrently explaining this attachment style so for avoidant slash dismissive attachment you may have had a parent or main caregiver that doesn't show up and really is um their responsiveness is past providing um, essentials like food and shelter. So what that means is, and I also see this attachment style in clients who come to me who are very much so perfectionists or people who are like very much so uh, go-getters and very ambitious. So if that is you, girl, listen up. But you had a parent or caregiver that really didn't show any care or they didn't really respond to you emotionally past providing essentials so they were providers they were you know they made sure you had clothes on your back food on your food on the table your hair was done all of that was done but there was really no response to anything related to emotion and that could be due to a lot of different things depending upon the situation with the parent um in response to what the child's response most of the time is The child disregards their own struggles and needs in order to maintain peace to keep their caregiver close by. So I like to explain this as I can remember a time when my parents and I kind of had a secure attachment. I never felt, I can remember being very young, like feeling as though like my dad was kind of there. Like I, I can have vivid memories of us being all in the same house. I don't remember as a kid, like, crying and they weren't there or things like ever worrying that they weren't going to pick me up from somewhere like things like that but I can remember probably from around age 10 to definitely my up to my adulthood feeling this where there was a lot of conflict with my parents and because of that as a child I saw how distressed my mom was essentially that I didn't want to cause more distress. So what did I do? I just 
basically seemed like everything was great. I threw myself into school. I made all A's. I did everything I was quote unquote supposed to do. I never got in trouble. I never did anything wrong because I saw how emotional she was, but also like her and my dad's relationship was very um, complicated and very chaotic that it was very important to me to disregard whatever I was experiencing to maintain peace in order to make sure that if I needed my mom or I needed to go to her for something, I could go and I could get it because I was never a problem child, essentially. On the other response to that, I grew up seeing my sister and my mom and my dad get into it a lot. So I responded like, I'm not doing that, girl. You get in trouble too much. I am going to be the good kid, the poster child kid, essentially. So what this created was this very overwhelming, like, avoidance to anything being wrong. Everything was always perfect. Nothing was wrong. You couldn't tell me anything was wrong. I had to be the good kid. The other part of that is, in explaining this attachment style, the parent may be emotionally unavailable. So children learn the best way to get their needs met is to act like they don't have any. So I never really asked for much. I never really needed much. Even to the point that I remember when there were times when I was in high school, um, at that time, my mom and I were, she had separated from my dad at that point. And I remember... I was like, I'm going to get a job at 16 because I don't ever want her to have to worry about money because money was a big concern. That was something she always talked to me about was like money being really tight, money being a concern. So I was like, I'm going to get a job and pay for everything myself so that she doesn't have to do that. So like completely taking on ownership of stuff that really wasn't my responsibility as a kid, but my way of quote unquote acting out was not in a external way was internal like I made sure I did everything I was supposed to do and so what does this actually look like it looks like you kind of basically remove emotions from situations and become very like I can take care of it myself you kind of like own up and take ownership of a lot of things additionally with people who have avoided or dismissive attachment you suppress emotions or you may even think that emotions are too much, or you might even avoid people or partners that attempt to get close to you because you may find them too needy. You may find that someone who is not independent or can't do for themselves or like all of that is just like, girl, you got too much going on. Like, why can't you get it together? Because for so long, there's been a suppression of emotions or if somebody is struggling emotions come up for people and so for you it's kind of like how come you can't just get it together because in your eyes your emotional needs essentially weren't really met so you learn the best way to handle things is to act like there isn't them at all that emotions don't even exist at all this may be even big for people who struggle with emotions because you find that emotions make you look weak um sitting on things too long makes you feel like it's unproductive um or even like taking in a lot of emotions feels weighty and heavy um which it can be and I'm not trying to paint the picture that it's not but this is the way we can react the other part of this which is so interesting is that um you may also be somebody who doesn't like to be physically touched you may not even really like people in your space because it feels like 
that is showing so much emotion and that's too much for me. And here's the thing, you may feel, you may not even feel deeply invested in relationships and instead you prefer to be independent and self-reliant. So when things end, you're able to kind of like get over it without dwelling on it. When not really knowing that that's a trauma response because a part of something ending or a relationship ending or something ending is grieving. Grieving is a normal process. And I think when we don't recognize that grieving is important or a part of the emotional human nature, we almost neglect it as if it doesn't exist. And there are so many examples in the Bible of Jesus weeping and crying and being sad about things that happened even before him going to the cross, he grieved the process of doing it instead of kind of just being like a chip on his shoulder. Like I got it all together. When Lazarus died, he cried. Just all these things that showed emotion for him was displayed by our savior. And so I think we have to understand that it's not a chip on your shoulder because you're able to get over stuff quickly you may be more sensitive to things that you may not even know. And so I think when there's a suppression of emotions, when emotions arise, you have no tools or understanding of how to deal with it. Um, The other thing with this specific attachment style, and I'll go deep into myself, um, is you don't feel like you deserve love or closeness in a relationship because you feel as though, like that's too much, like it's too deep. It doesn't have to be that deep, but you crave it. You crave emotional closeness. You crave this thing, but it almost feels like, especially if someone's not doing something you want them to do or the way you think it should be, you avoid it at all costs or think like this doesn't need to be in my life. The other part of that is you can avoid making friends. You may have a hard time with criticism or disapproval. You may um, you may not open up or show emotion easily. You may fear that being in a relationship with someone will cause harm. And you may even feel like refusing to help from others. So this really comes from people who are extremely independent and self-reliant that they feel like they can't ask for help for anything. Because again, your emotional needs weren't met. So you don't even have the tools to understand that you need to be that even asking for help isn't is asking for emotional support like even though it may be a um task oriented thing to ask for help there is always an emotional cost to something so like if i were to take an hour out of my day to go help somebody do something and there is somebody else that could actually do it there's an emotional cost with me putting down things to go do something because i have it to like may rev myself up to do it or so on and so forth. And so you don't ask for help, even if you are burnt out, even if you're overwhelmed, X, Y, and Z. Um, But you have a deep desire to be loved, but may have a compulsion to distance yourself from others. Um, The triggers of this may be being dependent on other people. So you could be triggered by feeling as though you have to depend on other people, like you can't do it yourself relationships take too much time I know this is a big one for me which I'll explain in a second and then feeling judged or being too emotional 
So like even going back to the part where I was talking about children learn the best way their needs are met is to act like they don't have any. For me, I think my trigger or the way that I responded a lot to this that I could tell a lot um, in high school for sure was that I basically painted the picture like I suppressed if somebody was angry or I even really was like, why are they angry? Why are they angry? They don't need to be angry. Everything is fine. I can handle it. Like, it's cool. Like, I'll do all of this to make sure they're good. And it's like, to it pulls away from the place of this is a problem or something is really wrong. And also, I can recognize that I had a negative connotation with emotions I associated and very much so can sometimes still to this day, which is so hard, that bad emotions means I'm bad. Like very shameful, very much so like I'm a bad person because I'm having a bad emotion or uncomfortable emotion. Even then, even now see my language is like, that's a bad emotion, uncomfortable emotion. Um, Anything that challenged my perfectionism Meaning if it challenged me to not be perfect or show myself or show emotion, girl, it was like somebody like probably putting me on front street, which I can say currently my season right now is I'm continuously unboxing my religious view of God, which I did not know was religion. But it was, again, very boxed in perfectionism and also very avoidant, which I would talk about in a second. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And so a part of my platform is transparency. A part of, I believe, as a believer, is transparency. Paul always talked about what he was experiencing. Jesus talked about what he was experiencing. People in the Bible, we were talking about what we were experiencing. And so a part of talking about what you're experiencing openly is being naked in front of people, which is very vulnerable, which is very uncomfortable for me because it's like, I am still a cousin Christian sometimes, baby. Okay, I am still a person that gets very angry with people. I'm still a person that can be very judgmental, like very judgmental. And also I'm someone who is really can sometimes still struggle with self-esteem, can really feel like, am I showing up my best? Um, I've moved past a lot of those things. There's a, there's a lot of stuff I can say that I'm not past, but there's, I'm, there's never a point where I've arrived, baby, ever. And I think especially for someone who is has a platform or a microphone, I've learned to not take that so deeply. Like I take that deeply serious, but I also don't look at it as a chip on my shoulder because I'm very much so working out my salvation with God every day. So it makes me equal parts to 
people that listen to this podcast, but it's also very hard to be transparent to say I struggled with stuff. It's hard to say, which I've shared before. Like, um, was that high school? Maybe late middle school, early high school, I struggled with pornography. I don't, I don't anymore. Like, I don't even remember the last time I've looked at something. But, like, that was a long-standing struggle for a long time. And I think I haven't shared it more recently, so the new people are probably like, oh, my gosh. But that was a struggle of mine late middle school, early high school, just struggling with pornography, not really understanding um, sex because it wasn't talked to me about at all. It was very much so be abstinent, don't do it, that kind of thing. And so, like, those complicated conversations – and like those things that people are like, well, they'll share, but they don't share. And it's hard to like be naked because it's very vulnerable. And so I can see how when God puts in my heart to share something, I get very angry with him. Like, bro, I'm not doing this, fam. Like I will tell God a lot of times, like, fam, I don't want to do this. I'm not doing this, Lord, because it requires me to die and I don't want to die Lord I want to be perfect baby okay like I want to be perfect and so the suppressing of the emotions of being angry with the Lord or being like most of the time with avoidant people they also ignore like I can remember there are times where I really ignored God out of sheer frustration or went through a challenging season and was like, God, I'm a horrible Christian because it did not fit the box of what I felt growing up. It was like, if I'm not perfect, then my needs aren't going to get met. On the flip side of that, more spiritually, if I'm not a perfect Christian, God's going to be angry with me. Or if he's or if he's angry with me, I'm going to go to hell. That was a very deep-seated belief that I felt with myself it challenged my shame with spending time with God meaning if I couldn't spend time with God then there's no way he'll bless me it challenged me in the way I view sex like if I had sex then uh, before marriage my relationship wasn't going to be blessed it challenged my viewpoint in so many ways because it made me be the one that's in charge and that's not healthy nor is it even sustainable because, again, it's very avoidant. It's very dismissive of what the real core problem was. The core problem is pride, but I ain't see it that way. I saw it as you got all these things happening that's making me upset and pissing me off, God. And I don't understand what's going on, fam. Okay, we need to fix this. The other part of that, when I was talking a little bit more about you remove emotions from situations and become very, I can take care of it myself. That's where we go into the extreme part of this, where you will become very independent. You find people who have very avoidant and dismissive attachment be very successful because they see emotion as a um, detriment. They see emotions as if you dwell on this too long, like your mindset ain't right. And I, and I have a, viewpoint on this in a way now where I understand I think emotions have to be processed in order to come to an understanding and a conclusion but emotions are necessary in any part of a scenario and in some scenarios because 
they help give a compass to the true root of what's the problem. If you felt abandoned or disappointed by something, sometimes you do have to process that disappointment. You can't just say, well, forget it and move on when you're really then walking around hurt and then you can't even move in business relationships. You can't move into other trusting relationships because you feel like everybody is going to disappoint you. But you can find that people who are very successful may struggle with this because there was a deep-seated don't respond to emotion growing up because emotion is bad completely. So a big part of this for me, um, let me think of if there's anything else. And then also lastly, before I go into more things about myself, um, <laughs> it's feeling like things are too much. Like I can remember part of in relationships I've had and not to say they still weren't unhealthy um, because they were unhealthy I think another thing about avoiding dismissive attachment is you often can um, have people come into your life who are very clingy and you feel like you have to help them or you feel uh, this need to help them because of certain things that well no I take that back that goes back more to anxious attachment which I talked about okay no with this one there were times I could tell when things were, when people were too clingy, I was like, you got too much going on, girl. And be like, bye. Or or completely would cut them off or just like start to slowly distance myself from them because the neediness was uncomfortable. Um, and there were times where, again, I felt deeply, I wanted to be deeply in relationships with people, but I struggled because I needed to be in charge or I needed to be in control or I was just like very self-reliant in the relationship which I think to some degree in a healthy relationship there is a sense of independence which you have to still have in a relationship in order to survive and be a person but also as a unit you have to really also then be able to understand where does this independence come from is this independence more so a thing that you can work through together and like have togetherness within like you maybe being um, aware of something or like know something more than the other person and like teaching the other person or may take on something. You may be a leader in a certain aspect of your relationship. And that's not a bad thing, but really going into the space of like you being so, so independent that it's like, I don't need you. That's when that can become very like, very avoided and dismissive um so additionally and lastly when I talk about this how this also came up was when I was struggling I would isolate a lot um I closed in a lot there will be times where my friends will call and check on me and I would answer the phone I wouldn't talk to them to some degree I still do that but not it actually I will say I probably don't do that as often I probably do the opposite I probably like talk to my friends way more and which is necessary and healthy and so I think the way that I have worked through some of this but still like more so now I think it's with the way I respond more now and I can tell kind of in my adult relationship with my mom and even my dad is that I am very like defensive so like I get very defensive when it comes to like 
um, too much, too much, um, you trying to tell me what I need to do. I get very defensive because I think for a long time, it's like, you know, you only really provided shelter and food. You didn't really connect with me emotionally. So trying to connect emotionally feels awkward and it feels also disingenuous. And so it, it's working through like, for me, what it looks like now as an adult and also a parent being able to like connect to um, authority figures or even just like my parents, like in a different way that doesn't feel disingenuous. Like it feels like I think what I'm understanding is more of the healthy response but that doesn't mean because I'm looking at a healthy response that maybe their response to me is healthy. Sometimes their response to me is very triggering. It's very, very triggering. And I think it's really working through like, this is really hurtful. And I don't know how to respond because I'm still working through what this looks like as a person who has now basically lives on their own there is more to a parent relationship now than just you providing for me. I need emotional attachment. And so it's kind of like wrapping your heart and your mind around that. And really also going to God about when I'm triggered, how to deal. Like it's very, y'all, it's so hard. It's, it's probably currently one of the hardest things I'm dealing with. And I think it's <clears throat> working through expressing emotion, but also expressing emotion for me too also was met with some anxious attachment because I got inconsistency from my parents there were times where they were there and then there were times that they weren't there so even if I express my emotion how would you respond will I be met with it doesn't matter I'm your mom or or will I be met with it doesn't matter because there needs to be some level of respect because I'm the parent and it, at 32 sis okay it's like I have so much more life to live outside of zero to 18. And that is a hard concept for parents at times. It's like, they can still see us as kids that their viewpoint of us are not adults. And it's so challenging. And so I say that very transparently because it's like something I'm thinking about and working through. But also these are the things I have to go to God about because there's a part of me that also says, I don't want to navigate this friend, this relationship with unforgiveness. And is this unforgiveness or is this me just really being triggered and I'm having to work through compassion or work through stating my emotions or work through putting boundaries in place and knowing how to do that can be hard as hell. I don't care what nobody say. And so how you work through this is practicing expressing your feelings because one of the things with anxious avoidance is you had no tools of emotions you didn't even know what emotions were let alone that disappointment meant more than than you just making me upset or that me being sad about something is really that i was rejected or x y and z so how you work through this is practicing expressing and identifying your feelings. Um, you also need to know how to recognize where it comes from. So did this come from this person or did this come from this person? It's also really working through your hyper independence because hyper independence is a trauma response. 
It is a trauma response. Sometimes you may throw yourself into work not knowing that that is a trauma response to avoid any level of emotion. It's like I can kill it in the game of my job and my work, but when it comes to me sitting down and being expressive to someone, I suck at it, that's uncomfortable, I would rather throw myself into something I'm good at. The last part of this is also really being able to practice getting to know others on a deeper level and paying attention to how you feel and why you feel that way. And really when you get to know others on a deeper level, it reinforces you listening because a lot of us who are hyper-independent, girl, we don't listen. But also you listening and actively responding and not being like, this is too much. So where does this come with where it impacts our faith? It can come in, and especially when it comes to avoidance a particular way, you may not see things as deep, but that doesn't mean you're not impacted. So I know for me, it made me really look at God differently because it made me see that God didn't dismiss my emotions, which goes against everything that I feel like I talk to y'all about on a consistent level when it comes to mental health, about why it matters to God, because it is so hard for us, especially it was so hard for me, which is probably why I care so deeply about this, to see God as caring towards my mental health, because it was very hard for me to not, to feel like it wasn't unjustified. But also, I go back to my attachment that, I didn't, I worked through for years and still work through feeling the need to be perfect, feeling the need to not feel like I had to have it all together, feeling the need to not feel like I knew everything. And I cannot tell y'all how many times pride has been a topic of conversation with me and my counselor because she she's like, that's the root of pride or that's pride or you want to be in control and that's pride or you want to take the seat and that's God's seat and that's pride and it's just like stop hitting me in the face with this but it just comes from this deep feeling of wanting to feel validated because I'm in control that giving God and making him a Lord meant you are a Lord not only over what I do but my emotional state and that is something I don't have control over and that is hard And so working through these triggers and working through this is, again, one, just understanding that it is a thing. Like, this is a thing, y'all. And again, my response to this didn't really come up till I was pretty much late elementary, early middle school till all the way I became an adult. Pretty much, I can remember early years of my life, I had a secure attachment. But when it became deeper, and this a lot had to do with my parents dealing with their own trauma together while still trying to parent a child and doing what they knew best, which was just basic needs. Emotional needs came last because there was no space for that. They had no capacity. They were struggling themselves. So it's like very important that I think a part of us breaking generational curses is learning that a part of us even breaking these generational curses, learning how to regulate our emotions with even our children so we can be able to learn how to be our best with them, which is not always the case, which comes into play when you want to create a secure attachment with your child with apologizing, listening to their needs, telling them, hey, baby, mommy needs a minute. Mommy's going to come back to you. You giving them the consistency, which is hard, y'all. Like, 
I'm not even going to front with you. Doing it with a 20-month-old is hard because there are times where I don't have it for you, son, but I have to be available. And so it's a work through, um, and it's constant. And I don't want you all to ever feel like it's too late because I think there's, there's so much healing when we recognize. There's so much healing when we acknowledge. And even if I never get the full acknowledgement from the people who raised me on some of these things, it doesn't mean that God won't fill those holes because he does. He really, he really, really does. And he is a true example of a great, great father. And I think that is something I just have never comprehended until more recently. And I think it's important for you to know whatever the attachment style is for you so you can begin to sometimes address it especially for people who are avoided because they have no emotional thermometer. They don't even know what it looks like to express disappointment. It is, it is probably the most excruciatingly uncomfortable and guilt-driven process because expressing that somebody disappointed you makes you feel bad, makes you feel like you're a bad kid or a bad person. And it's just really hard to navigate at times. So I say all that to say, um, in the next episode, I'm going to go through fearful attachment and basically fearful attachment is a combination of both, but it's a little bit different, which I'll explain. And then we'll kind of wrap up in all four of these and I'll kind of go through, through them again to kind of explain. So I should a lot with y'all. Y'all be knowing all my business. Okay, girl, but I'm here for it. Um, I love y'all and be on the lookout for next week's episode and I'll talk to y'all soon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.